We always caution parents too when this thing that gives them energy is not something you particularly think is valuable. Like video games, that's one that a lot of parents have told us. I could care less. I feel like it's a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to get you anywhere. We talk about being curious and not critical. If you think about whatever you do with the child, if you come with a curiosity, what is it that you like about this? Show me how to do it. When do you do it? Like, find out some more about it. And that curiosity will. Um, tend to engage your child, the critical will tend to completely cut off the communication. Hi, I'm Sandy Fowler, and you're listening to Mighty Parenting, a podcast where we explore parenting in a way that helps us and our kids find more happiness and fosters emotional wellness, even while solving problems with our teens and young adults. We learn through advice and stories from experts and other parents, and I'm so glad you've joined us. So welcome to Mighty Parenting, where we have real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults in today's world. We talk a lot about communication at Mighty Parenting. Our experts, myself, the communications, email series that we share with you. And one of the keys to communicating well with our teens is to not be stressed. Because when we're stressed, we knee-jerk, we jump in, we say things that we don't mean to say. And as I'm talking to parents, you guys are telling me that you don't have time for stress relief. So I've created a complimentary lesson for you that requires no time. Yes, you will have to listen to the audio, so it's going to take you a few minutes to do that. But the strategies I share with you don't require you to spend any more time on them. So pop over to sandyfowler.com forward slash no time and learn how you can start relieving your stress and feeling better today. Our conversation today is with Bill Hendricks and Bev Hendricks-Godby from the Giftedness Center. Bill is the president and Bev is the senior associate, and they help people make critical life and career decisions based on their giftedness. They have recently put out a book, actually maybe not so recently now, but they have a book out on how do I parent this child, which is wonderful. And they're here today to talk to us about their version of giftedness and how we as parents can utilize those ideas to, I guess, better raise happier, healthier, more emotionally stable adults. Bev, Bill, thanks for joining me on Mighty Parenting. Thanks for having us, Sandy. Thank you for having us. So we hear people talk about gifted children, and generally they're referring to academic or music or sports areas of our kids' lives, but you have a different meaning for giftedness. Bill, would you tell us a little bit about what giftedness means in your work? Yes. The simplest definition I can give you for giftedness is basically uh, what somebody is born to do. Everybody's born to do something that's unique to them. One person wants to solve a problem. Somebody else wants to understand something at a very deep level. Uh, Somebody else wants to get people to respond to them. Uh, Somebody else wants to build something, get a finished product. I mean, we could go on and on all day about the different forms of what we call giftedness that are out there. But you're right. We tend to think of gifted in terms of the unusual, the, the spectacular, you know, the gifted athlete, the gifted musician. And certainly there are people whose giftedness has taken them to a pretty sophisticated level in terms of the expression 
of that giftedness. But what we often overlook is the reality that every human being actually has a particular way of doing life that works for them quite well. And it's a pattern of behavior in their life. And so that's what we mean by giftedness, this, this, this uh, unique pattern of behavior that a person uh, basically starts using the moment they're born and, and they continue that pattern the rest of their life. And so that pattern being stable, it's, it's somewhat predictive. Like you can, if you tune into it and you, you figure out what that pattern is, you can actually work with that person in a much better way because you know what it is that's driving their behavior. I think one of the things that is real important for people to understand is this giftedness that is an energy that drives the person. And it may be a big energy that is more noticeable, but it can also be very, very subtle. Um, and so what we are really encouraging parents to do is be observant, pay attention. Um, a lot of times this is, is a little harder to detect than other times, but it's always there. And if you pay attention, you will see it. The way that Bill and I got into it was from doing this work, helping people to figure out how do they take this giftedness and use it usually in work-related opportunities? What work would make sense for them? Um, and they began telling us stories from when they were quite young. Um, we would try to take them back to say four or five, um, you know, whatever was an early story for them. And what we found is those stories were very, very precious to them. And they actually were like a metaphor for how this person did all of life. So what we saw in parents is that they have a front row seat to this. They get to see this as it's happening. And sure enough, when we would invite parents to a feedback session, the parents would be nodding, like, of course, absolutely. Everything that we're saying about them, they've seen in the child. So um, that's just um, a little side. Well, Bev, I know you've said that you are in this work. You're particularly attuned to how your client's giftedness expresses itself in the whole of their life narrative, in their relationships, basically every aspect. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think that we have a tendency to think of something like this concept of giftedness as how it applies to our work. Exactly. But actually, as I said, this shows up very, very early in a person. So clearly, a small child is not doing work, except that they are. Their work is play. And if you watch them, you can observe what it is that they pay attention to, what kinds of toys they go after, what is their um, you know, style when you're trying to quiet them or get them to do something. What, what are you noticing? Um, and any parent can tell you that has multiple children that they all are different. I have identical twins and they never, never were exactly the same, even though it would seem like maybe they would be. Um, so what we really encourage people to do is kind of know this truth about themselves. It's a truth about how you um, not only are wired, but how you get joy, how you get a sense of satisfaction in anything you do. So you can really use this to kind of uh, make choices in your life that put you in a good place relative to relationships, um, relative to avocational things that have nothing to do with work, just how you want to spend your time. 
oftentimes volunteer opportunities. It'll suggest to you what kinds of things would make sense for you. Um, and in this way, a person can take this knowledge about themselves and use it very, very practically. So it sounds a little conceptual, but it's actually very, very useful for people. Well, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, this is what motivates us. Exactly. Right? This is what we're looking at is a pattern of motivation. Um, many people have taken strain finders or Myers-Briggs or Johnson O'Connor. There's a number of assessment out there that's all looking at this same motivated behavior in an individual. Um, what's different about ours is that we don't ask the person to tell us what that is, but or do forced choice questions, but rather tell us stories from their life when they did something they enjoyed and did well. And what's so interesting is the part of them that they know will come out, but also parts of them that they've never really named or recognized will also come out. And those are often the things that keep a person stuck or they've never recognized before the importance of that for themselves. So that, that's a lot of the work we do is kind of helping them integrate all of those pieces together in order to make really good choices for themselves. So when you work with, say, a teenager and you go through this and they discover, you help them discover their giftedness, what do you see happen in them and in their life? Well, the short word is I see transformation. I mean, this is, this is a transforming kind of exercise because the person lives inside their skin so they have the subjective experience of using this giftedness. But because they live inside their skin, it's, it's just like we live inside our skin, so it's a physical impossibility to see our own face, right? We see every other face in the world, the one face we never can see is our own, unless we look in a mirror or video camera. And even then, that's only a reflection. We can't have that out-of-body experience to see our own face. Well, the same thing's true with giftedness. We live inside our skin, and we see other people using their giftedness and oftentimes seeing that, that it looks very impressive what they're doing. But when we use our own giftedness, we don't think about using it, we just use it. And so unless somebody from the outside holds up a mirror and says, here's what you're doing and celebrates that, here's the value of what you're doing, it just proves a bit elusive. So what we see happen when we help a, a, a teen or a young adult wake up to their giftedness, we're, we're sort of holding up a mirror. And often for the first time in their life, they're seeing in an objective way what they've only been able to experience subjectively. And it's both uh, energizing and, and even a little mysterious, but it's like, it's like opening up the present they've always wanted. I mean, they, they, they come alive. They're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I do. And I love doing that. And, and they're, they're transformed by that because suddenly somebody has, has celebrated the, what we call the good truth about who they are. You know, so many children, unfortunately, and teens, they've heard the bad truth about themselves, their so-called weaknesses, the places they failed, the, the problems they have, their dysfunctions, whatever. Rarely has somebody named out and called out the good truth and celebrated it. And when that happens for a human being, they, they come alive to the best of who they are. And it has a transformative impact on their life. 
I remember Wayne Dyer shared a story about uh, a society where when somebody did something wrong, instead of being punitive, they gathered the whole tribe together and they surrounded this person and told stories of all the good things this person has done. So rather than, as you said, pointing out every time they failed, every mistake they made, how the things they do hurt other people and looking at all that, instead they came in and and talked about their goodness and their wonderful traits and their character and were essentially saying, you know, you're better than this. We know this isn't you. This is the real you. The real you is is this goodness and this wonderfulness. And I love that idea of holding that up for our kids and going, this is you. This is wonderful. And this is amazing. Well, let me just put a quarter twist on that because what's also the case is many of the sort of negative things that people have heard often from well-intended people like parents and siblings and peers the people are actually getting at something that really is true about the person's giftedness, only they're communicating it in a negative way. So there's a kind of a giftedness we call get it right, get it exact and precise. This is the person who, you know, everything in their life is just so. And we end up calling them a perfectionist, which has a bit of a you know, negative flavor to it. We may even ramp it up to your anal retentive, which is a pretty nasty way of telling the person what is actually true about them. How much better would it be to say, I love the way that you take so much care to get all the details just right. It's the same exact, uh, seeing the same exact gift, only putting a, a positive uh, uh, description to it. And giving them time to develop it. That's right. One thing I did see before I was a parent, because, you know, we all see things and go, oh, my goodness. (laughs) But one thing I got right is I watched other people and I'm like, wow, the traits that we want our adult children to have are really annoying in a small child because they have no idea how to control those things yet and when it's appropriate and when it's not. So I appreciate this idea that even when our child is doing something that is annoying us or bothering us to be going, okay, wait a minute, how is this their giftedness? What can I express about this in a positive manner? And if there's something that maybe they need some time or some coaching or some help with, then we can find an appropriate time and place to help them hone that skill. So in your example of, I love the way that you get all these details right. Are there some that we might not need to do right this minute? I, and then, you know, like what I need, like I'm really tired. (laughs) My kids know this. I need to head off to bed. You guys are just ramping up and I am half asleep. So could we do some of this tomorrow? (laughs) And that helps them hone that skill. We encourage parents to develop a positive language for whatever your child is doing. Um, and the, the, some children are easier to do that with than others, but you always want to try to go after what is the gift here? Um, because there are ways that a gift can be expressed that are not so positive. So whenever you see power, for instance, in a small child, um, that power is packed into a really little person. And they can't do what they want to do. And so it squirts out sideways and all over everywhere. And we end up paying attention to what they 
are not doing. And I feel parents do a lot of paying attention to what kids are not doing. But how about thinking about what, what developing a, some empathy? What is it that she or he is trying to express? What is it that is frustrating to them? And partner with that frustration to help them kind of find a way to express themselves in a way that may be a lot more positive that you can see. But it really starts with the parents believing that that is a positive, that there is a gift in here. The um, subtitle of the book is Discovering the Wisdom and the Wonder of Who Your Child Was Meant to Be. If every day you got up and thought, what wonder am I going to see in this child today? And what wisdom has this child to teach me? Um, that's a di really different preset than how am I going to manage this kid today? How am I going to get him to do what I want him to do? Well, and going to ourselves, you know, I mean, we have, we have um, reticular activation systems in all of our brains. Right. So whatever we as a parent say we're looking for is what we're going to find evidence of. So I, uh, Bev, I think that is brilliant, right? We get up in the morning and going, what is the wonder of my team today? And we set our brain to look for that. We'll see more of it. Absolutely. And back to what, the one thing I was going to say about the teen that you mentioned, there is never, um, I used to teach middle school, high school, love that age group, that they're so receptive to whatever is said about them. And today's teens spend tons of times on social media and they get very affected by whatever is said about them. And I think never is there a, an age in which a parent has more influence in terms of saying and naming what is right with you? What do you see? Now, they may roll their eyes. They may act like they're not hearing, but they internalize this years and years later. And I know this because my my kids are much older, but they will say, you were always our champion. That That, that is a wonderful thing that at the time, I would not have been able to tell you that any of them knew that internally because of whatever they were doing to differentiate. But it was very, um, very sweet to know that they heard that and they will hear that. Okay. So, so many things I want to ask. Let's make sure that we get some tips from you guys. How do we go about finding our child's giftedness? Yeah, the core concept here is, or the core habit, I guess, maybe a better way to say it always pay attention to the energy. As Bev said, giftedness is a form of motivational energy. And so pay attention to what your child gets interested in and what holds their attention for any amount of time to where they, they have a hard time breaking off from it. What engages their energy? What activities do they keep coming back to again and again? Because there's an obvious sort of satisfaction that they're gaining. There, there's an energy that they're taking away, even though they're expending energy to do that activity. And I mean, the activity could be as varied as human life. It could be a, a sport. It could be a hobby. It could be a project in school. It could be a book. It could be a, an idea that they keep playing with. Um, it could be an animal. But, but the point is, regardless of what exactly they're focusing on, Notice where their energy keeps coming to, and also the energy of, of their 
looking like they're bored out of their mind and then something happens and they come alive. You don't know what that is, but you know something just intersected with their giftedness. We always caution parents too when this thing that gives them energy is not something you particularly think is valuable. Like video games, that's one that a lot of parents have told us. I could care less. I feel like it's a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to get you anywhere. We talk about being curious and not critical. If you think about whatever you do with the child, if you come with a curiosity, what is it that you like about this? Show me how to do it. When do you do it? Like, find out some more about it. And that curiosity will um, tend to engage your child. The critical will tend to completely cut off the communication. And we've talked about video games a couple of times before is the same thing, because as parents, we don't necessarily value them. And we can be very frustrated because we see it as a distraction from what we think is important for them to be doing. And yet there is when you open up this conversation, as you were just saying, Bev, you know, what do you like about this? How did you get good at this? What's most interesting to you about it? And then also be able to have a conversation to go, well, you said that you are really good at this piece of it. Where else do you use that in your life? So we have that ability to bring in and encompass their whole life, not just focus them in more narrowly on the video game. Absolutely. What, what if the thing that has their attention really isn't something that's good. I basically I'm thinking of various forms of addiction, right? Because there is there's playing a video game, getting joy from that, being good at that, and then there is doing anything. You know, it can be eating, reading, smoking, anything that we do that we're only doing to numb out. Right. How can we distinguish between those two situations with our kids? Well, I think that you're going to want to pay attention if a child is numbing out, if they are disengaged from other parts of life. That's number one. And if they are, I would start with curious, not critical. You don't want to start by just shutting down the communication. However, I think to be able to hopefully you have established some way to communicate with this young person so that you have some credibility coming as a parent, as being someone that not only loves them, but cares about them, has definitely seen the truth and the joy of who they are. Um, that gives you a door in. You may have to be a little bit more, um, uh, you know, creative in terms of getting to um, a place where you can talk to them about that because yes, we're not talking about you just get to do what you want to do all the time. There's life has to be managed. Um, I think the more you can set that up for them, the better. And the more that you can keep, you know, making decisions that draw them back into life. And obviously if you're very concerned, you're going to want to consult a professional, uh, about that. Um, but again, knowing what it is that they use, whether it's for good or for bad, um, to somehow soothe themselves gives you at least a clue into how you might have a door into that child. There's also the reality that uh, addictions are never so much about running towards something as running from something and finding, a, and usually it's a painful something. Right. 
and and there it's kind of worth exploring what is going on around my child whether in our family at school somewhere uh that's that they're they're finding a sort of relief from in this numbing of a say a video game or whatever the addiction happens to be the interplay between giftedness and, and addictions is fascinating and we actually our society doesn't really yet know just a whole lot about that um, and what part of that is is chemical and what part of that is motivational um, but I, I i think it is if, if if i'm seeing my child getting lost but not lost with joy and satisfaction but lost with numbing um, then something's pulling them or something yeah pulling them away yeah and interesting, though, as you're talking, each of you, I'm thinking about what you already told us, and it seems like we're still going to open with the same conversation, though. Correct. We're still going to ask them, wow, I've noticed you've been doing this. When? What do you like about this? What does this do for you? When do you do this? And it's allowing them to uncover those answers. And the answers could be, I do it because it's amazing. And it's, I get so energized and I love it. Or it could be, I'm doing it because I don't know what to do with myself. I'm doing it because I am pain, in pain. And, and they're not going to say that to us in those words, as you said, but we can listen to their responses. And if the responses don't come back as joyful excitement, those positive things, we can continue on that conversation. As you said, also look for some professional help around there. Sandy, I would just point out giftedness is quite opportunistic. In other words, it's highly affected by the circumstances in which it finds itself. And it will always drive toward expressing itself given whatever circumstances offer themselves. So let's kind of think about that. There's a kind of giftedness, for instance, that has to do with participating on a team the person gains energy by being with other people and doing something together. Well, you know, in a healthy environment, we might say, well, great, you'll, you'll do well in sports or you'll be great on a, on a debate team or something, okay? But what if the only real teams in your neighborhood are a gang? Well, guess what? That's probably where that motivation is gonna go. There's either other kids around, I start hanging out with them, they happen to be doing the kinds of things that gangs do, which is hugely pretty destructive. Guess what? I'm starting to do those things. Not because I'm intentionally seeking to go out and be a quote bad person, but because I really derive energy from being with other people and contributing to a, a group effort. This is the only opportunity I had to do that. But what, one of the things, Sandy, that we really encourage parents to do is to never think it's too late. So often you're talking to a, a parent of a teenager that has, quote, shut them out and they feel as if there is no recourse now. They've blown it. This is it. You know, just have to go with it. The truth is, as Bill said, giftedness is irrepressible. This giftedness is inside them. You may have not seen the opportunity to be able to get um, connected to your child in that good place, but I promise you, if you continue to um, open the conversation, uh, notice things, tell them these good things that you're noticing about themselves, you will get you will get 
uh, some response from the child because they will know that you are, quote, showing up. We talk a lot about showing up with parents. It's not about being a great, fabulous parent and thinking that somehow you're getting a prize at the end of this. This is about showing up when it's inconvenient, when it hurts, when it's not fun, when you're not sure what you're doing. And the more honest you can be about that, that, um, honey, I just I don't feel like I even know really how to talk to you right now, but just know that I'm here and I want to just something as simple as that oftentimes can help the child know they were seen, known and heard by the person that they really care about, you know, the being on that team more than anything, no matter what they show you. And even if your child has shut you out, what you've taught us about making positive statements is a great step toward opening that communication. Just don't expect them to open up and spill everything the first time you make a positive comment. If they are a teenager, you know, whatever's been going on could have been going on for, you know, two, five, 10, 12 years, and it's going to take time. We make sure the positive comment though is, is truth. You're not just, you know, throwing out nice things, platitudes that you're saying. They need to be true about this child that you have noticed over time because it's got to feel authentic to the child. It has to feel like, yes, that's me. She knows me. He knows me. That That's where you get connected. I appreciate all of this. This is so helpful and so interesting. And of course, as I said, there were so many other things I wanted to ask. So for listeners who want to know more from you, get connected with you, where can they do that? Well, they can contact us at our website for the Giftedness Center. And, and that address is V-T-H-E, Giftedness, and that's spelled G-I-F-T-E-D, N-E-S-S, and then center, C-E-N-T-E-R.com. And uh, we have a contact form on, on that site and other information about the services that we provide. And uh, we'd love to hear from people. And I believe you also have a link to your book on there. That's correct too, yes. And of course, we'll have all this in the show notes too. So you can always go to our show notes and, and click through on those things. Well, Bev, Bill, thank you both so much for taking time to talk to us today and to share your work and what we can do to help our kids. Thank you, Sandy. It's been a privilege. Thank you. And thank you, Mighty Parents, for being here with us today. I appreciate your love for your child. And remember to share this podcast with another parent so they have support on their journey. And thank you for just being here, for being a Mighty Parent. Remember, if you're here, you're listening, you are a Mighty Parent. You got this. And I will see you next week. Mighty Parents, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. If you're ready for more, visit MightyParenting.com where you can get your free email series, How to Talk to Your Teen, with tips for communicating with your teen in a way that builds connection and communication. You can also get Mighty Parenting Plus so you can access our private podcast, which includes all the Mighty Parenting episodes, behind the scenes, guest highlights, and more. And of course, remember to share the podcast with another parent to support them on their parenting journey.